Well, good morning, Brookside. It's great to see all of you here. How are my Iowa Hawkeye fans doing today out there? Are you there? Yeah, are you okay? 12 and 1. That's still phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. We don't clap very often for Iowa fans, so you praise God for these moments, you know, like that. So it's great. Well, hey, I, I want to mention before we uh, get started, uh, next uh, year we've been talking a lot recently about how we're going to be uh, reading through the Bible together as a church, and we're really excited for that. That's going to be just a phenomenal time, uh, and for us to read through the Bible from cover to cover together, and then uh, in church we'll be teaching through uh, the lessons as right as we uh, walk through the Bible together. So I wanted to tell you, next week you'll be hearing a lot more information about that. Actually, the next two weeks you'll be getting more details, um, but be planning on that. Set that as a goal right now for 2016. Um, Going to be a phenomenal thing that we get to, to do together. Uh, well, today we are in part uh, three of a four-part series that is taking us through the, the Old Testament book of Daniel. And um, this series has been a powerful series. You know, in week, in, in week one, uh, we talked about, Steve talked about what it means to be a person of resolve, what it means to be the kind of person that you actually pre-decide what you will and will not do. And, and just this week, Christine was telling me just she had an opportunity with our kids just to talk about that lesson from uh, week one in this series. And then uh, week two was incredible as well. I'll reference that a little bit later and kind of what we talked about in week two. But I want to encourage you, if you've missed either of the first two weeks, I would encourage you to go online and, um, and be sure to check those out there. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about one of the most um, really essential qualities that could be said true of us. Um, if anything would be said true of us, this is one of the things that we would say, wow, this really rises to the top of, of something that we would want to be said. If I were to take an informal poll of, of the group here today, and I think this would really apply to any, any group, if I was to poll any group um, in our city or really around the world today, and I asked this question, what would you rather do? Would you rather simply go through life and simply survive, or would you say, no, I want to truly thrive as I go through my life? I want to get to the end of my days and be able to say, wow, with my one and only life, I thrived. I lived the kind of life that I le left a legacy. I really thrived with my one and only life. We would all say that. We would all, the, the, the results of that poll would be very easy to, to determine. If you're a Christ follower, um, you would probably even go even further and you would say, I want God to say of me, you honored me with your life. I gave you, I entrusted you with a life, and you honored me with it. You truly, you truly thrived. As Steve was putting together this series, taking us through the book of Daniel, and as he taught through the first two parts, he had this, this thought going through his mind, and he was really answering the question as he reflected on all of his years of ministry. He was answering this question, what are the principles that rise to the top? What are the top of the top things, the cream of the crop principles that a person would want to be true of their lives if they were truly going to thrive on the spiritual front, if they were just going to excel as they went through their life? What would those things be? And he said it's the difference between a person uh, spiritually just running on fumes and a person that's truly experiencing life with God at its deepest and at its most meaningful level. It's likely that you and I, we can, probably every person in this room, we can relate to what it means to simply survive, just to get by. But then many of you, you can relate to what does it mean to thrive? What does it mean to experience God at the deepest level and to, to have that sense of truly thriving as you're, as you're going through life? The principle that we're going to be 
looking at today, another one that rises right to the top is this. It's, in, it's all about embracing humility. What does it mean? Think about that. What does it mean to be a, a humble person? And, and this, what we're going to talk about this morning is, is, our, is this bottom line. This is where it's all driving to. So take a look at this. Just jot this down if you're taking notes today. This is our bottom line. By putting God in the right place, I find my best place. When I put God where he belongs, when I live with that kind of perspective that God's in the right place, then I'm in and I'm truly living in my best place. And we're going to unpack that as we, as we move along this morning. Our text is Daniel chapter 4, and I got to tell you, it's an extremely intriguing, and honestly, it's a bit of a bizarre story, and yet it contains this lesson that you don't want to miss. Um, it's one of those that if you, if you get this, if this principle really takes deep root in your heart and in your life, it will literally impact every area of your life, every relationship, everything you do with your life will be impacted, will be, will be tinted by this principle if it, it becomes true of your life. It's that important. It's a game changer. And so before we dive into it, I just want to pray and just say, God, we're before you this morning, and Lord, would you teach us? This is such a significant principle. And so God, would you teach it to us this morning? So would you, um, would you pray with me, and, and let's just ask God to do that work. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and first we just want to say, Lord, thank you. Um, Lord, thank you that you allow us to come and to be in a setting like this and, and to hear from you. And God, um, we just declare it. You are worthy. You are worthy of our worship this morning. And Father, as we worship in this comfortable, in this place, God, we can't help but think of people around our world that are hurting. We think of those even in California this morning. They've experienced yet another, another tragedy this week. We've seen it again. And Father, we just pray that your grace and your peace and your comfort would surround them. Lord, we pray that as these events seem to be coming more and more normal, Lord, we pray that the gospel would go forth more with power. We pray that the name of Jesus Christ would go forth with power and strength. But Lord, would you provide grace and peace and comfort to those that are directly affected? And then Lord, for us this morning, Lord, we come, we come together, we're hungry this morning. Lord, we're anticipating what you'll do and how you'll speak into our hearts. And so we just open ourselves to that. And Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, embracing humility, that's our topic this morning. If you're around a person that, and you would say of them, they have a humble heart or they have a humble spirit, it's very likely that you like to be around that kind of a person. They're kind. Oftentimes they're thoughtful, oftentimes they're very service-oriented, oftentimes they're incredibly successful, and they're very well-loved. They know their place, though, and they know that their place is not at the top. They know that the way up is actually down, and they know that self-promotion for them, it's an absolute waste of time. It's interesting, Jim Collins, in his best-selling book, leadership book, uh, Good to Great, he took uh, data from all these companies, the, the, the best of the best companies, and then as he compared those companies, he looked at the leaders of those companies, and he labeled the top group of leaders from all of his data, level five leaders. And he said of this group of leaders, what's the quality that they all have in common? Right on the top of the list was they exemplified humility. Humility's opposite, as you know, is pride. I know it grips me. It grips every one of us from time to time. In differing measures, it shows itself in differing express, expressions. And, 
And when it rears its head, though, it's ugly. And when pride shows up in our lives, it's destructive. It's, it's the sin that says this, I'm right again. Didn't you, know that, didn't you know that that was actually my idea? I'm actually the one that told them that. It's the sinful voice that speaks up in a, a conversation, an adult conversation, a.k.a. a fight with your spouse or with a friend that says, you don't need to apologize. You're right. You, you don't need to back down. Don't humble yourself. They're wrong. Just, just, stay, just stick to your course. They'll repent eventually. While it might not be verbalized, pride is the disposition that communicates, I'm better than you. I really don't have time for your issues. I'm above you. Our small group is reading through the book of Proverbs right now, and again and again, it's like a, a flashing warning light that just keeps going off, and it's saying this again and again, stay away from pride, because if you go down and if you're gripped by pride and arrogance, it will harm you. It is destructive. It is ugly when it rears its head. Verses like this we see in Proverbs, Proverbs 11, chapter, uh, or Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility, what comes along with humility? Wisdom. And then Proverbs 16 says this. Pride goes before what? Destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. And the sad truth about pride is this, is that when we embrace pride, it leads us down roads that we do not want to travel and oftentimes ro roads that are really hard to return from. Yet it's easy to walk in pride. It's easy to be arrogant. It's easy to do it. In Daniel chapter 4, we're going to learn this morning a lesson from King Nebuchadnezzar and it's a lesson that I just want to tell you, it is better to learn it in this setting than it is out in real life. It's better to read about it and to hear about it than it is to experience it in just the everyday uh, normal throes of life. Let me say it this way, it's a trip you and I don't want to take in Daniel chapter 4. If we can learn here, like classroom-ish, if we can hear and read and go, oh, I get that, that would be much better than to go out and experience this lesson. And so this is where I want to begin after we get through Daniel chapter 4 and the story that we'll read, if you keep going, if you fast forward really to the next generation, if you get to Daniel chapter 5, what you find is that Daniel is talking to King Nebuchadnezzar's son. He's talking to this next generation and he's talking to him about his father. He's reflecting on his father's life. And so imagine what this would be like if someone was saying this about your father. So he says this in, in Daniel chapter 5. Your majesty, so this is the new king, Nebuchadnezzar's gone and his, this is his son. Your majesty, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and, great, and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him, meaning this, your dad had limitless power. There was nothing out of his grips. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death, and those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted, and those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart, here it is, but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Imagine if you were hearing that about your dad. So sorry, son. So sorry to tell you that about your dad, but your dad, when his heart became proud, what would happen to him? Oh, he was stripped of everything. He was stripped of his glory. He, ouch. I mean, think about that. 
And then we read that and we think to ourselves, you know, wow, what would be said to my son about me? I think, wow, Lord, I want to write a different story. I would want something else to be said. I wouldn't want my son to hear that kind of story that, that oh, his heart became hardened. He had this air about him. He knew all the answers. No, it, and, then, and then what happened? Oh, God just stripped that away from him. He stripped away his, his position. We don't want that track. We, wanna, we look at this story and we go, no, no, I want to write a different kind of story. Let's look at the story. Here's what happens. Let me give you a a heads up this morning, we're going to cover a lot of verses. We're going to work through this story this morning, and, and I'm not going to read them, them all, but we're really going to work through and, and, and read, through this, um, read through this text. So it's Daniel chapter 4. We're going to start in, in verse 4. It begins like this. I, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. That's another way of saying this. It's like in vacation mode. Things were good. I was contented and I was prosperous. He's saying, I'm in a good place. Then things kind of change. But I, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and, vi- images and visions that passed through my mind, they terrified me. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever, you woke up from your sleep and you were terrified because of what you had dreamed? Just shook you to your core. Our five-year-old son actually had that happen this week and he woke up and comes to us, and in detail, he recounted his dream to us. And he said, you know, Mom and Dad, you guys took me over to the school, and you sold me. And I was like, wow, did we get a lot? No, I didn't say that. You know, <laughs> He said, you sold me. And I was like, oh, man, you know, we would never do that. And he said, but then you bought me back really quick. And I was like, oh, that's because you're so great. We love you. We would never sell you, you know. Well, four days later, last night, he lays down to go to sleep. He, you know, wakes up and he goes, I can't get it out of my head. I said, what can't you get out of your head? He said, the dream. He said, I'm with those bad people again. I mean, it it was just, it's terrifying him, staying, staying with him. Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and he is startled to his core. He's terrified because of the things that have been played out in his mind. And so what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He does what any of us would do if we were in his high and lofty position. He takes his control and he says, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to pursue help. I'm going to find someone who can help me understand this dream. This isn't the first time that he's been in this situation. Skip down with me to verse 9. It says this, I, Belteshazzar, or I said Belteshazzar, and every time you see this, I just want to note this, every time you see that name, Belteshazzar, this morning, think Daniel. The king renamed Daniel to Belteshazzar. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the, of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no majesty is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Would you interpret it for me? Um, The king is desperate. I mean, think about that. He's he's saying, um, you know, this isn't the first time and he's gone to all these different people and he's saying, hey, can you interpret my dream? Can you interpret it? And no one can interpret it. So what does he do? He goes right back to and he turns to Daniel. And then the king, this is what he says in verse 10. He says, these are the visions that I saw while I was lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Now, I just want to pause here, and I want to say, try to imagine every single, don't miss a detail of this story. Imagine this in your mind. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. 
Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature fed. Now, to this point, this dream actually sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But then he goes on to talk about how a messenger came. And he refers to this messenger as the Holy One, Nebuchadnezzar does. And this is then what the messenger said, the Holy One, verse 14. It says this. It says, he called out in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Imagine this. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind, imagine this, be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by. Now you read that and you go, wow, that sounds really bizarre. I mean, his mind is doing all that. But when you think about it, if God, if you, if you see God as creator God, that's incredibly, that's, that's incredibly possible. And then this is the last event of the dream, this bizarre dream. Verse 17 the decision is announced by messengers. The Holy One declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes and sets, them, and sets over them the lowliest of people. Notice these important words. The Most High is sovereign. Do you see what's happening here? Can you see where this lesson is going? He's saying to the, this, the king is getting this message that the Most High is sovereign over all. Where you put God, where King Nebuchadnezzar puts God is a big deal. And, and he's making it clear, where does God belong? He's the Most High. He is the Most High over all. Our main point for this morning, by putting God in his right place, that's when I find my best place. And then verse 19, it puts it like this. It says, when Daniel, when he heard the dream, and you can just imagine this. When Daniel heard this dream, and he's thinking about the fact that he's got to tell the king about it, it says that he was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts, what did they do? His thoughts, they terrified him. So much so, actually, that the king said to Daniel, Daniel, don't let the dream, and don't let the meaning of the dream, don't let it alarm you. Just tell me what it means. Daniel, out with it. Tell me the dream. And so Daniel begins to speak in verse 19. Belteshazzar, Daniel, answered, my Lord, and these are two big words, if only. If only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. That's a very nice way of Daniel saying, if only this dream applied to people you were already planning to kill, Nebuchadnezzar. The tree that you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, listen, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown uh, until it reaches the sky. And your dominion, what does it do? It extends to distant parts of the earth. He's saying, King, you are that tree. Your power is great. People are looking to you. You are that tree. 
You are that one that gets cut down. Have you ever had that sinking feeling when you've been caught doing something wrong and it's like, whoa? Or you're in a conversation and you kind of tell a half-truth and you just know that that's going to come back to bite you and you just know guilty. That has to be what he's feeling. Skip down to verse uh, 24 and it, it says this. It says, this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. Here it is, verse 25. You will be driven away from people and you're going to live with the wild animals and you will eat the grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. In verse 26, seven times will pass by for you. And here it is, until you acknowledge, until, and that word is big, when it says until you acknowledge, it literally means this. It means until at your gut, in your gut, to the core of your being, you proclaim. Until you proclaim, until you acknowledge that the, from the core of who you are that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And then verse 26. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you, here it is, acknowledge that heaven rules. When you acknowledge, King Nebuchadnezzar, that you are not on the throne. Nebuchadnezzar, when you come to that point in your life, when you realize that the most high is not you, but the most high is the most high God, that's who is on the top. It's, it's Nebuchadnezzar, when you realize that it's not about your empire, it's not about any letters behind your last name, it's not about anything that you or I can build, it's not about any of that. It's when we acknowledge that, no, no, God is on top, that heaven rules. I love that language. King Nebuchadnezzar, everything will be restored to you. This lesson, this little field trip will be over when you embrace humility and you acknowledge heaven rules. The most high is the most high. Our main point, by putting God in his right place, you and I, what do we do? It's in that place that we find our best place, that the most high truly, we would say of our lives, we would say, oh, the most high is the most high. The Apostle Paul, I love this, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, he's reflecting on past events in the Old Testament. And he says that those stories that they were told, that these events like the one we just read about, they were told so that we would not do the same. And then it says, so that you would not set your hearts on the same things. Another way of saying it is that we would learn it here so we don't have to learn it there. That we would not choose to take that trip. This story is one that you stand back and you go, this is a negative example. We can learn from it, though, and we can say, that's what I don't want to do. This idea that, that if I'm pride, if I, if I latch on to arrogance, if I have this air about me, it should, as we read through this story, it should actually frighten us. It should make us go, I definitely don't want to be that kind of person. Henry Cloud defines humility like this. It's not needing to be more than who you are. Not needing to be more than who you are. It's this idea that I know my place. Nebuchadnezzar's problem was that his place and his mind was at the center. And God was somewhere else and he was the center. And he looked at it instead of saying, God, you've given me these gifts and I've been able to build all of these things. Nebuchadnezzar said, no, I'll take the credit. No, I did that. No, I built this business on my back. Nebuchadnezzar's wrong. 
And as we see this unfold, it's just as true for you and I. When we put God, though, in his right place, that's the best place for us. It's the student who looks at their circumstances and they say, wow, I know this shortcut. I, I know how I could get from A to B quickly, and, and that just seems to be the right. But they humble themselves and they say, you know what? I don't know everything. And so I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to continue just to try to follow his ways and trust that in the end, things will play out, that God has my best interests in the long run. It's the person at work that doesn't cheat to get ahead. They say, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show up every day, and I'm going to live an honorable life. I'm going to give my absolute best with the things that God has entrusted to me. And at the end of the day, the accolades that you or I get, that's what, that's what we'll be. But I'm not going to cut corners. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust and humbly submit to God. Daniel's advice to him, verse 27, was this. King, you're going down this road. Daniel said, renounce your sins and do what is right. And your wickedness, renounce it by being kind to, to the oppressed. D Daniel, you can, or, or Nebuchadnezzar, you can embrace humility by actually caring about the people that God has entrusted you to lead. Instead of abusing them, you can, you can care for the oppressed. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't do it, and he chose the other path, and he decided to take the trip, and he learned the hard way. Here's what happened, verse 29. It says, 12 months later, imagine this time passed now, one year later, as the king was walking on the roof of the, the royal palace of Babylon, and just imagine what that must have been like. He's up at the very top of this palace, and he said this in that state of walking around, he said, is not the great Babylon, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Now, when you read that, I don't know about you, but it's like, warning, warning, warning. Uh, this is not sounding good. Now, we're told this, that when he's up on top of this roof and he's looking out over Babylon, it was quite a sight. Historians say this, that at that time there was no other city like it anywhere in the world. It was beautiful. He was probably from the palace able to see what he called the hanging gardens that he built for his wife, one of the seven wonders of the world. I mean, beautiful. The city of Babylon all the way around it, it didn't just have one wall to fortify the city. It had two walls. I mean, and historians say that they sparkled. It was a beautiful city. And as he's up on top of it, where does the credit go? Does it go to the Most High? No, he says, this is my palace. This is my city for my splendor. You can think of it like this. In his pride and in his arrogance, it wasn't as though... Nebuchadnezzar had seized Babylon. It was as though in this moment up on top of that palace that Babylon had seized the heart of Nebuchadnezzar and it had drawn him to think that the Most High, wherever the Most High is, who cares? Look what I did. Look what my hands have done. I think we all know what it's like to get a little bit caught up into our own thing, don't we? I know I do. And here's where this goes, though. Look with me at verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, so as he's up there, as he's saying, look, look, look at what I've done. A voice from, came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat 
grass like the ox, seven times will pass by. And when you see seven times, here's what we know about that. It's talking about seven passing of seasons, meaning seven years, which makes sense for all these events to take place. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and He gives them to anyone He wishes. Think about how that must have hit home for him in that moment. Think about how he must have gone, whoa. Now, you might be thinking, wow, this, this story, wow, this is, this is, it sounds a little bit crazy. But again, when you think about, wow, God as a creator, God, God could orchestrate these events. And what is he doing, though? What's the point of the story? He's wanting to teach Nebuchadnezzar, let go of your pride and embrace humility. Immediately, all that had been said as he spoke those words on his lips, all that had been said that would come true did come true. Now you fast forward to the end of that seven-year period and Nebuchadnezzar, he gives us an example. The other side of the coin, he says, this is what you should, this is what you should do. This is how we look at this example and go, that's, that's what I want to do. Look with me at verse 34. It says, at the end of that time, I... Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes toward heaven and, I, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him. I, I, sorry, then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. He comes to this point where he's saying, okay, the most high is the most high. And then it all comes together in verse 37. He says this in 37. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what we should do. I praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The Apostle Peter who spent an immense amount of time with Jesus, he put it this way and this is a gift to us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he said it like this, he said, clothe yourself. Clothe yourselves, meaning actually, like literally put this on. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because what does God do? God opposes the proud, but he shows favor here. He gives grace to the humble, meaning it's like sailing into the wind if you are a prideful person. God stands in opposition to prideful people, but what does he do? He shows favor to the humble. And then he goes on. So what should we do? Humble ourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourself. It's that moment where you have that reality check where you and I, we maybe do this later this afternoon where you just ask yourself the simple question, where would I be without God? What kind of mess would my life be if God hadn't entered into it? And it's that, that moment where you just go, whoa, okay, that puts God right where he belongs very quickly, and it puts me right where I belong, humbly under him, saying, the most high God is the most high God. No one else could forgive me. No one else could pay the debt that I could not pay. Absolutely no one. It's that posture, and it's in that place that you and I can go, that's the best place that I can possibly be when God is in his right place. You know, last week, the key truth that we heard was this. It was live with the end in mind. 
And Steve talked about it at the end of his, his message about the reality that at the end of our days, we're going we're gonna to stand before God. And I just tried to picture this week, what, what's that going to be like in that moment? And, and I was thinking about this text, and there's no doubt about it that every one of us in that moment when we stand before God, it's going to be humbling because the, the, the glory and the majesty and the splendor of God, they're going to be on display, and it's going to be, it's going to be humbling for all. But I was thinking, as I was thinking about this text, you and I, we don't want that to be the kind of time where that's the first time that God gets put in his right place. We want to live with such a habit of doing so that, God, you are in your right place. Lord, you are the most high. I put you in the right place, and when I do, I know that's the best place that I can possibly be. The reason why Paul put it like that. And the reason why Paul said, you know, I, I give you these, you know, reference these Old Testament stories is this. He said, I, I want you to run to the best place where you could possibly be. I want you to be able to say, God, you are at the center. Well, that we would be the kind of place, the people that we would acknowledge, like right from the gut, from the core of who we are, we acknowledge you are sovereign over all. Heaven rules. I don't rule. Heaven rules. And when you live in that, that brings a whole new dynamic, a whole new different kind of peace. Last thing that I want to just mention and point out about this text, and you might have noticed that in this story, the tree gets cut down to the stump. But if you read the rest, if you read the, the detail about that, it says this about it, that God bound the stump with iron and bronze, and he kept its roots in the ground, meaning this, Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not done with you. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm, I'm cutting the tree down at the stump. The tree is falling. The tree will die. It will no longer do the great things that it once did, that, that the dream described. But Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not done with you. I'm protecting those roots. They're in the ground in iron and in bronze. And what is that, what is that saying to us? And what is it saying to you this morning? You might be here today and you would say this. I feel like I just got cut to the stump. And maybe you've gone through a humbling circumstance recently. And I would just encourage you. God looked at Nebuchadnezzar, and, and what did he, he think? God was for Nebuchadnezzar, and God is for you. And if you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm, I'm in a place, my circumstances, they have humbled me. Know this, in that place, if you put God in the right place, that's the best place that you can possibly be. The hope in that is this. Jesus said it like this. It is to my Father's glory that your life bears much fruit. It's to my Father's glory that your life would produce. Nebuchadnezzar, that tree, it's going to be restored. Your kingdom will be restored. Those branches will grow again. When? When you put me in, in the right place. And in that place, you'll find that God is for you. If you've been cut to the stump, if you're humbled this morning, take hope in that. God looks at your life and says, your best days are ahead when you put me in the right place. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor. He gives grace. He pours grace to the humble. By putting God in the right place, I find my best place. What would it be like, fathers, if, if we were humble at home? What would that do in our families? Students, what would it be like if you took on a posture of humility with your parents? You acknowledged, I don't have all the answers. What would that do to those relationships? Christians, 
what would it be like if it was said of us that Christians are the most humble people in our city? What would that do in our workplaces? What would that do in our families? What would that do in our schools? That's what God calls us to, is to embrace and to say, I'm the most high, to say, God, you, you are the most high, and, and we want to be underneath you. Imagine that. What would that be like? That's what God calls his church to, to be the humblest people that would glorify and honor him. And so remember this week, my one challenge to you this week is this. Remember that when God is in his right place, that's the sweet spot. That's when you and I, when we live in our best place. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this example. Um, and Lord, we want to be the kind of people we don't want to take the trip. God, we want to be the kind of people that we learn this one on the page. And so, Father, help us to do that. Help us be the kind of people that all glory and all honor goes to you. Might pride and arrogance be so far from us. Might we declare, Lord, we are so grateful. Father, you lived a life that we couldn't live and you died a death that we could not die to pay for sins that we could not pay for. And so, Father, we just say, you are the most high. We declare that now. And Father, as we even now prepare our hearts for communion might this be this time where we just reflect and maybe we even answer that question, where would I be without God? And I pray, Lord, that within us would, would well up this deep sense of gratefulness and gratitude for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, um, we do have the, this incredibly vivid opportunity to kind of um, and if, if you're new to church, communion, when we take communion, it's kind of like a Christian's way of hitting the pause button and saying, I want to humbly remember and I want to celebrate the fact that, that God would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me so that I might know him. Let me read this past this verse to you. This is Philippians 2. Talk about humility. It says, and being found in the appearance of a man, Jesus, what did he do? He humbled himself. And he became obedient to death and even death on a cross. And so this morning, as these elements are going out, I just want to encourage you, um, just contemplate the cross and uh, let its meaning, let it soak into your soul. Where would I be without you, God? Um, and let it lead you to, to worship. If you're a guest here with us this morning, I um, just want you to know that we have an open communion at Brookside, which means this, um, that if you're a follower of Jesus, we would, um, we would love to have you uh, take communion with us today. I'll come back up after the elements have gone out and we sing together, and, uh, and then we'll take them together, okay?